sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is Ross Coulthard and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. That's something that I'm still investigating on my own because it's one of the dots that are, uh, is very hard to connect. So I, I draw a dashed line. Instead of a solid line to that dot, it's a dashed line. And so I was brought up uh, in the Christian tradition, uh, Catholic. And, of course, in Genesis, there's the story of the creation. And, in fact, if you look at other texts, there are creation stories in those texts of other belief systems. What they have in common tends to be a intervention, let's say, or some interaction by someone of more advanced being toward someone of a lesser advanced being, let's say us, and that they imparted their image upon us. So if you look at Genesis, it says, let us, let us, plural, make man in our image. What does that mean? Um, before the discovery of DNA, which, by the way, um, DNA was discovered in the mid-1800s. The fact that we could, like, sequence it and know the structure of the DNA occurred much later in the 50s and later sequencing in the 90s. But going back to Genesis, all through the history of the Christian religion, we took it on faith that a God, a being higher than us, a divine being, did something deliberately to create us. So people believe that and won't question it. Yeah. But when you say that being might have been a non-human intelligence and they may have found us on earth, and enhanced us to be who we are, to be like them. Uh, they question that. Say, that's nonsense. <laughs> but religions are, all have creation stories. And so going back to Roswell, it implies to me that perhaps it proves Genesis. That Genesis is not an allegory. Uh, that the truth behind Genesis might have been real. But it's told as an allegory. Over the time, it's like oral history told from one generation to another to another, probably based on older texts that Sumerians had that told about a similar creation story 
uh, with Enlil and Enki. So it's the, that's my, it's the, it's that's the my labels. Answer. It's the labels that are put on these things, isn't it? That you can they're interchangeable. You can take off one and put the name of this god or yeah. this place, and it's the same story throughout throughout many many religions. So yeah. I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, and we just didn't happen. It's just not we came out of the primordial soup, and by happenstance, we have to be more advanced than other primates. Yeah. You know, I mean, how, how why are I always say this? Why are we more advanced than the other primates when our DNA is so damn close? What's the difference? And so if you believe in Genesis, that's the difference. And if you don't believe in Genesis, if you want to take a completely scientific, secular view, uh, you might believe that, you know, it's just that things came together just right. And boom, here we are, homo sapiens. But if you, if you uh, go back and look at the Roswell story and its implications, uh, it makes sense that perhaps that is what they discovered. And that's why it's so secret. I deeply believe that when they found this alien DNA, whatever plan the government had to disclose anything truthfully stopped because 1997 was the, was the 50th anniversary of Roswell. And it seemed like things were going toward, like, maybe finally we're going to talk about Roswell. And so the plan to talk about Roswell happened years before. CIA had a document about CIA's involvement with UFOs from 1947 to 1990, right there. And in seven years, there was Roswell. The Air Force had a plan to disclose something about Roswell. When this alien DNA was found in the human genome, that stopped it. Because now it's not just about the craft and beings. It's about who was in that craft and what is their relationship to us. Or if you believe that the greys are uh, somewhat um, a combination of organic plus artificial intelligence, who created them? And that's a conversation that we still can't have. Hopefully, since the release of the Tic Tac videos in 2017, where finally government says, yeah, there's something in our skies flying that we can't explain. The next thing they need to explain is who's flying it or from where? Are they remotely flown from somewhere else, some other ship, or who's behind that craft? And there you go back to, like, who are these people? Who are they? Where they come from? Why are they here? Why are they interacting with us? Along those lines, we have a question from Sean Murphy, John. Do you think some people in the U.S. government apparatus truly know what UAP are? Yes. What makes you think that? Uh, because they have made hints about they have more data than that what then that was revealed. And in fact, uh, one of the former directors, either the DNI Ratcliffe or um, one of the former CIA directors stated that we have a lot more data that we haven't even shown yet. So, and Lewis says that as well, that there's more data. <laughs> there's a 23 minute video. I wish I could see it. So 
I do believe that there's a lot more coming, but they need to schedule this release of information. They need to talk about the UAPs and they need to talk about where the UAPs came from and who's flying them. But to get to there, uh, it's a long road ahead. So every 180 days, uh, starting this June of 2022 to uh, September of 2026, every 180 days, twice a year, we're going to get more and more and more information. Jordan wants to know, there is some evidence to suggest UAP have char characteristics of plasma. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm not a physicist. When you say plasma, uh, my definition of plasma uh, may not uh, meet the scientific test. But to me, it's like an ionization of free electrons. There's a, a flow of free electrons uh, that cause this effect to occur. And so that gets detected in the infrared region from space. So when we first saw the orbs, that's what was seen in the infrared data. For me, that, that's something uh, I'll share on this, that as you say, I'm, I'm no physicist, scientist, I'm very much nothing of anything, but you, you have an understanding of how these things might work in your own head. And for me, you talk about plasma, you maybe think of orbs and objects being made of materials that wouldn't necessarily create a craft or be able to be flown or manufactured in that sort of way. And when you talk about orbs being made of materials like potentially plasma or light, mm -hmm. What would the purpose of that be? How does that uh, come about? Does that suggest they're, they're sentient themselves? Um, I, the way I answer that is based on my personal experience. Um, the plasma is not what the craft is made out of. The plasma is an artifact of the craft's presence in our airspace or in space. That... It's not a craft of plasma, but plasma happens around it when they come into our view. That's the way I interpret it, that it generates plasma, not made of plasma. And so the terrestrial explanation I can give you is that there was a lot of research about something called plasma stealth. It's plasma stealth generators something you can attach on an aircraft to create this plasma cloud, if you will, that will make it less detectable to certain wavelengths of radar. That's something the U.S. looked at. That's something the Soviet Union looked at. So happens that the Soviet Union went with the plasma generator, and we went with just creating faceted aircraft with materials known as radar absorbing materials. We went that way. Both countries looked at both and we thought that just making plat uh, a faceted aircraft is a lot easier to do. The Russians thought that, no, that's too hard to do. Let's just do the plasma stealth generator because we, then we can make every airplane plasma stealth. We can attach generators to them. Um, so again, the plasma is not the MiG-31 or MiG-29. The MiG-29, MiG-31 
they are the MiG-29 and MiG-31. But with a plasma self-generator um, to our sensors, it looks like plasma cloud. And it, then uh, to radar sensors, uh, it would be difficult to detect on radar. Sure. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, the next part, again, you say you're not a, a physicist necessarily, but Jordan wants to know, is there evidence to suggest that the hitchhiker effect is related to quantum entanglement? I don't know. Um, boy, that's a good question for a real physicist. I, I have not resolved in my head what causes the hitchhiker effect, other than it has something to do with the initial exposure. And I cannot explain how you can go to Skinwalker Ranch in Utah and bring that effect back home to Washington, D.C., as was uh, described in the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book. I don't know how that happens. It's, an, it's a very intriguing and incredible part of the phenomenon. Uh, but as you say, it's one of the lesser understood, lesser, lesser known aspects. And I think given the, the personal nature of it as well, it really is up to the individual to come out and, and tell their story. And and again, that, that relies on evidence or lack thereof, doesn't it? Um, George Knapp himself shared on, on my podcast his own experience to an extent, uh, and he mentioned his wife was part of that. But obviously, for those reasons, they stopped short of going into detail because it affects someone else like his wife. And you, you can appreciate that that yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, next question is from Ash, who ran the UFO Minicon last year in Preston that I attended. That was a lot of fun. Um, Ash says, in your recent presentation you gave on the Project Unity YouTube channel, you mentioned the importance of the RAF Flyingdale's radar station oh, yes. in the UK. Um, they can see a can of Coke 3,000 miles away. Are you aware or able to comment on any other UK-based infrastructure or bases that are also worthy of closer scrutiny when it comes to their potential involvement with the UAP topic? Well, I know that the paved pause radar in the US has detected craft. And I know that the Filingdale's radar is of a similar model to the U.S. PAVE Paul's radar. So that's the association between the two. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything that the uh, Ministry of Defense might have. Uh, that's a good question for uh, Baroness Goldie. She might know, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know what else the U.K. might have uh, that can detect craft at long ranges like that, especially over the poles, over the Arctic Circle. In your opinion, John, let me ask on that from, from a UK point of view. Why do you think, as someone who's clearly not from the UK, that the UK government and the UK forces don't seem to have anywhere near the interest that the United States has in the subject and topic? So they say. Well, uh, yeah. So they say. So I think in the US, uh, because Roswell was a an American incident happening on US soil, and because the original Arnold sighting uh, was in U.S. airspace, I believe the U.S. has um, taken a greater interest in it. But other countries have also had these types of encounters, officially through military encounters. But I think in the U.K., I don't know why, 
they do not want to talk about it. They kind of dismiss it. Maybe they're just following our lead and waiting to see what we do. But um, I find that really interesting that there isn't a more open dialogue uh, by the UK government on this phenomenon. Having said that, I have interfaced in my career uh, with Ministry of Defense analysts who are also studying uh, not UAPs or anything like that, but studying the same radars that I studied uh, that have the capability of detecting UAPs. But that's never that has never come up in our conversations at all back then. Hopefully, so, something that changes in the in the coming months, let alone years, and from a UK point of view. Yes. And hopefully, something me and my colleagues, as part of UAP Media, if people in the UK want to check up on that, um, yes. can help with. And if you're a UK well, citizen, then certainly right. check that out. And, and you don't have a Freedom of Information Act in the UK that I know of. There's no FOIA process. Is that true or not true? I don't know. And Ooh. also, you have something called the Official Secrets Act, which yes. we don't have. Yeah, and um, uh, I'm I was concerned that um, that uh, Minister Patel wanted to extend the Official Secrets Act on journalists. I read that in the press, and I think that's a disaster. Speaking as an American citizen, I, I take our First Amendment. Sometimes we take it for granted, mm-hmm. but we're we you know not everybody has the ten ten bill of rights that we do. And so uh, something like the Official Secrets Act would be disastrous for the U.S. Now, I'll say this, though. Recently, well, not recently, but within the last over a decade, there's a new classification that the government conjured up. And it's called um, Controlled Unclassified Information, CUI. So it's unclassified information, but the government, the U.S. government would want to control that information. Now, how, what's the justification for controlling something that's unclassified? Unless you take that piece of unclassified information and you take another piece of unclassified information and others, and all of a sudden you get a complete story that might be classified. Mm -hmm. And so that's the closest thing to an official secrets act that we have that they're trying to control the flow of unclassified information. And yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a, an abridgment on our, our civil liberties actually. Yeah. It's, an interest, it's interesting. You say that, that it, putting together that jigsaw would, would give you a, a complete picture that could be classified. You may hear of an example of a, an event that happened in a place and then separately, there may be a video where you don't know where the video is from. And then there could be corroborating sources and stories but actually what you find out is the people filming that video should not have been in the place they were. So you can't put that information together to give that complete story because then that becomes classified, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yes. And Next. I, yeah, I just... Um, no, go on, John, please. I just want to say that um, it's, it's very difficult to do FOIAs because of that. Um, but shouldn't discourage people from doing so. Um, one thing that doesn't work is bombarding the same agency with one FOA after the other. Um, and so I, I was trying to help people do FOIAs, but 
um, there's no timetable when they respond. Yeah. So if you mention something that you've experienced that's unclassified because you personally experienced and you saw some craft up in your sky at a certain location, a certain date and time, if that craft matches a data point in the UAP task force report, uh, you might not hear from them at all. Yeah. I think John Greenwald, obviously the world's most famous FOIA activist, um, recently had a a request of his sent back after years of waiting on it. I think he'd forgot he'd sent it, to be honest. So, yeah. But again, John does a lot of good work in that field and others should do too. Next question, John. Uh, Brian wants to know, you mentioned that someone in the CIA felt the McMinnville UFO photos were legitimate pictures of a UFO. Yeah. Why did they feel so certain? And is there data on that case that the public do not have access to you are aware of? Again, it's this exact same meeting where I heard about alien DNA. And the discussion on the McMinnville UFO preceded the alien DNA discussion by the briefer. And they didn't present any evidence that CIA had, but they did say that this is a real UFO that has not been debunked. And they pointed out, uh, this briefer pointed out, remember that the U-2 aircraft flew in 1955. The very first flight was 1955. We didn't have anything like McMinnville flying at the time. We had fixed wing aircraft flying at the time. So that's all I can say. Again, it's another instance where they told me things with no evidence because of the stature of the briefer I took it on face value and stored it away in my head all these years until just recently I started talking about it thanks to the fact that as of December 2017, we can have a more open discussion about this. A lot of things uh, were no longer classified that may have been classified. So I put that in there in my slide thinking, okay, if this is classified, Redacted. It didn't get redacted. I would say this, though. Prior to me presenting those slides, I wrote to CIA telling them I'm going to present slides. And in the slides, I'm going to discuss alien DNA. And I told them the names of the officers that were there. And right there, they could have come back to me in an email prior to me submitting the slide saying, oh, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. It's classified. And what they said was, we are very interested in seeing your slideshow. Send it to us, and, and we'll get it back to you. Oh, by the way, how fast do you want it back? And that's that's been of benefit to us, having you having you have these conversations, because people want to hear it. Something that's been said by, by a few people recently, uh, Frank Milburn, Dr. Michael Masters, uh, Ross Coulthard, uh, and yourself, there's been a, a chatter and one of the buzz buzz terms in the last few months in the world of UFOs has been future cataclysms. Um, Ian had the question that you've spoken about messages from beings. Is this something that has ever been discussed or imparted to you, information about potential future cataclysms? Not officially. No one from the US government has informed me that there is a future cataclysm happening. So I don't know what sources they receive that information from. My source was, again, through deep meditation that 
something is going to occur. If it's a cataclysm or not, I don't know. I'm hoping it's not something that can be an existential threat, existential threat to our existence. You know, I, I don't want that. But if it's something that requires an intervention by these beings for the Earth's benefit, uh, I welcome that. But that's not going to happen unless the government and other governments acknowledge the presence of these beings. Uh, and so, again, that's a lot of dots out there with a lot of dashed lines. And some of them are very, very faint dashed lines. But one must think about why now? Why has there been such a push by the government to release information at the speed of government, which is like real slow, but it's still happening. So three videos were released by the Pentagon. And then we have a flurry of people coming forward, like Jim Simivan from CIA, myself and others. Um, who've come forward and talked about this entire subject matter where like 10 years ago, that wouldn't have happened at all. So something is accelerating the narrative to where even Averill Haynes, the DNI, the sitting DNI, used the word extraterrestrially. So why is this happening? Why, why is there an NDAA by a senator who sits on the Senate Armed Services Committee who may have been briefed at a much deeper and higher level than any of us. Why is that provision in there, in the NDAA? So I'm just putting a lot of dots out there and just drawing very, very faint lines that someone knows something. But I personally, I've never been told anything other Let from officially from the government. No, of course. Let me put on my skeptic's hat for a minute, which I wear from time to time, um, just for the purposes of trying to be a, a balanced interviewer. Um, if in the in the current climate we live in, drones are not only commercial, but they are incredible what they can in, they can do as you go up the price ranges. And no doubt the militaries around the world, especially Russia, China, and the US, have some pretty incredible drone technology that would be mind blowing. Is there a chance that a lot of what is happening with this NDAA, while under the guise of UAP? is because of potentially unknown drone threats from, from other superpowers. Where do you think the likelihood is that, again, you mentioned those 144 cases earlier, one was a balloon, three videos, 140 cases still unexplained. Is there a chance that a large number of those are just unknown drone technologies? Without more amplifying data on what those 140 vehicles did, it's hard to hard to answer that question. Did they exhibit the five observables? I mean, they didn't even address the five observables in the uh, preliminary assessment released by the DNI. Uh, that's why I want more information about what they saw. You don't have to tell me um, how we got the information. You don't have to reveal some super secret sensor that was able to detect these things. I don't want to know that. I just want to know why were the 140 of interest? And were they just 140 or were they more than 140? This is just a subset of what you really know. Uh, as far as um, looking at other countries' capabilities, uh, we have a fairly robust, the US government, in fact, the UK government, and in fact, the Five Eyes, 
all of our governments have a fairly robust intelligence collection capability across a full range of sensors, what we say DC to daylight and beyond. We cover acoustic under the water to like ultraviolet. And these sensors are very, very good. And we would know, including our technical sensors, and I would say including sensitive and perishable human sources. These are people who give us information illegally in their government to where if they were found to be given us information, they would be executed. Those kind of sources. We would know what the nature of these UAPs might be if they were drones. They would say, we're working on drone technology. Now, Can, I just just, ask, yes. can I just ask, sorry, John, I, I famously never interrupt, but I just want to get your opinion on this now. Very recently, there was a, a rocket that the Chinese had launched that fell from space and basically landed on a road in, in rural China. And Chris Mellon himself pointed to this as a reason that the Chinese do not have the advanced capabilities that some of these UAP are displaying. And that's why you can discount China and Russia. But then mere weeks later on the news, it was confirmed that China had flown a hypersonic missile around the Earth. And from the sources within those articles, it seems the US had no idea this had happened. And I found that a really interesting correlation that Chris Mellon, on one hand, very intelligent man, very much in the know, was downplaying China's capabilities. But then in a few weeks' time, the US had no idea a hypersonic missile that China had developed had flew around the Earth. What, what would you say to that? That couldn't have happened. Um, that couldn't have happened. Uh, we were able to detect many, many research and development projects of a weapons nature, both in Russia and China. We have that capability. To say that we didn't know something happened is, I would say, disingenuous as to our real capabilities. And maybe they say that. They say that in order to protect those sources and methods. Sure. Um, but it's no secret that we can collect signals intelligence, we can connect, kind of collect communications intelligence, imagery intelligence, signature intelligence in the IR range. Uh, this entire Earth is blanketed by five eye sensors. And in fact, in your own country, uh, in Minworth Hill, is one of the huge mission ground stations associated with the NRO. NSA is the U.S. partner with GCHQ at Minwith Hill. And so there's a huge capability there looking over the Russian landmass. And then there's another huge capability in Ross's home country of Australia. At, everyone knows Pine Gap. Hmm. And they're looking at that part of the world, detecting what the Chinese might be up to in that part of the world. And we have a really strong knowledge of foreign weapons capabilities. We spend billions and billions of dollars for that. And to tell me that a country did something that we didn't detect, I don't believe it in a heartbeat because I've known other things that we've detected that have never appeared in the press, never, and that we were on top of it to the point that when we gathered this information and we had strategic arms 
talks with the Russians. We presented that evidence to the Russians. We know what you did. Quit lying to us. And they looked at the data. And they knew that we had them. We actually revealed to them to the point where, okay, you got us. Uh, we'll exchange data. Uh, so Russian technicians came to CIA and help us set up their lab equipment so that we can look at their data. And our technicians went to the Russian lab, our counterparts, so that they can look at our data. And we inspect each other. And we have like ability to, once in a while, we open up the silos so you, they can count silos. You can count our missiles in the silos. We'll open it up here. Look, count. On ground inspections as well. Uh, when I was at CIA, we actually sent a, C a delegation of our officers to Russia to look at their ballistic missile defense radars, the radars that we studied, we looked at. They came and I hear, and maybe it's an open source now, that actually we escorted them into uh, uh, the Cheyenne Mountain. NORAD, Russian officers. Now think about that. That's how close we are. And again, I told in my uh, slide presentation, another slide I thought would be redacted was the fact that CIA and the technical officers, our counterparts in the People's Liberation Army worked side by side. We shared our technology with the Chinese, side by side. That was not widely known at one time. But now I can talk about it. It didn't get redacted. Um, so I, I don't buy that we don't know what's going on at all. No, thanks for that. That's, that's a good answer. I like that. And I, I don't doubt that the US would downplay, oh, we didn't know that had happened when they, they clearly did, because like you say, it gives away certain intelligence uh, sources as well, which is incredibly important and sensitive. Bubs wants to know, would you consider joining an organization like the Galileo Project if you were invited? No, because I don't want this to be a job. Okay. Uh, this already feels like a job. And uh, when I retired, I was hoping to retire comfortably and quietly and that no one know who I am. Uh, that's ideal. And I hope to get back to that. Now, I don't know if that genie can be placed back into that bottle. But uh, no, I would not. I, I think there's a place in the Galileo Project for those who are scientists. Um, I'm not a scientist uh, in that sense. I'm not a physicist. You need a physicist. You need uh, those types of skills. And the only skill I bring is signals analysis. I can take a microwave receiver, hook up some equipment and antenna with an oscilloscope, and I can analyze radar signals and tell you the performance of that radar. That's what I know. And I don't know if they need that type of skill at all. So uh, I really don't want to do this as a job. I look forward to the time where I'm not doing this anymore because I don't need to, because the government told us what we need to know. No, I appreciate that. Uh, Stacy wants to know, uh, you mentioned on a podcast that certain bloodlines are tracked. I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. Why do you think bloodlines are tracked and by whom? Um, why are they tracked? is because certain bloodlines or certain families had alien DNA that was more enhanced than other humans. That's the explanation given to me. Evidence, zero. So you can completely disbelieve what I just said. Uh, who tracks them? That opens up an interesting 
question because now we have 23andMe and all these other services that all of us can use to find out what our DNA might be. Um, and I have not done that myself. I have not gone to any of these services. I'm investigating one that is quite more expensive than 23andMe that gets more into the mitochondrial DNA and does a full sequencing. It's very expensive to, to do 100% in depth with a huge amount of accuracy. It costs $1,000. Hmm. Uh, what I'm looking at is the moderate price $300 one. Uh, it gives you a lot of information of the, over the full genomic sequence that 23andMe does not do, by the way. So, what would someone like yourself do with that? If, if you managed, if you had the spare $1,000 lying about to spend on a, an expensive sequencing kit like that, what would those results show you? I don't know what it would show me. That's why I'm curious. And I wouldn't spend 1000 Maybe 300 I can spare. Um, that's one of those expenses that the chief financial officer of my household, hmm. uh, my wife, will have to approve. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're talking about 300 times two, because I'm sure she would want to know as, as well. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'm not prepared to spend that yet. And I'm still investigating as to what this company provides and how is it different from other companies. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think as, as someone who's an experiencer like yourself, there's a lot of people who would be interested to see those kind of results and potentially some sort of comparison again with other experiencers. So that, that would be an interesting one to, to follow up down the line. Maybe some sort of crowdfunding or GoFundMe, John, would, would help with that one for the for the kits. Um, Benji wants to know, uh, and I'm going to hopefully pronounce these properly. You've mentioned previously an ancient Hebrew symbol called a Merkaba, what some call a light body. What do you think or know about the work of authors like Drunvalo, Melchizedek, and Maureen St. Germain? And have you yourself found any methods that help you open your Merkaba? Um, first of all, uh, I learned about Drunvalo Melchizedek uh, just through reading about um, those who've practiced meditation and had meditation modalities. And then I met a woman who studied under uh, Melchizedek. And uh, she taught me um, her variation of Melchizedek's modality. And she herself has studied at various locations on how to meditate more meaningfully and more mindfully. So that's the context. Um, I know that, uh, is it St. Germain? It was a student of Melchizedek. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. But I've not uh, in any way really explored in depth. I just came upon the uh, quote from the book, uh, Living in the Heart by Melchizedek, about this encounter with a U.S. Air Force major telling him that the Air Force can see the, the Merkaba fields from space. And I found that to be very interesting. So... Take that for what it's worth. Um, I think it merits like people finding Melchizedek and asking him more about that because it was just in passing. It was in over two pages in that book where he talked about the Air Force interest in it. So um, 
I personally have not read any Melchizedek's book. I'll say that. I'll admit that. I have not read it. I'm the worst read person in ufology. Uh, I read the classic books by Jim Mars, by Stan Freeman, uh, et al., all of those, uh, but I've not really read the recent literature, uh, and I'm just doing so now. So, yeah, Whitley, I read your book. <laughs> and, yes, Jim Mars, who's passed away, and, and Stanton Freeman, who's passed away, I read their books and others. Uh, um, Richard Dolan, uh, I read. Uh, in fact, I met him when he was just starting out in 2004, when his uh, uh, book about the national security state was basically two uh, loosely bound um, pieces of paper with notes, and I had him sign it. Uh, so that, that's pretty much my extent. Uh, what I know is based on like what I've experienced, what I meditated upon, and what was informed to me. But the uh, the person who taught me meditation, I've shared with other people through direct messaging over t- Twitter. Um, right now, speaking about uh, how to find these things. I've put in the private chat for you, Andy, uh, the link to the original Exo Metaverse uh, interview. Uh, thank you. Which talks a lot about physics, but I say, you know, the physics is wrong. If you're a physicist, I admit I'm not a physicist, so I got it all wrong. I was just trying to explain it for myself as a non-physicist, what might be going on. And also the DNA service called Nebula, I put a link to that. And I'll put a link to the woman who taught me uh, meditation. She has and a YouTube I'll, channel. Okay. I'll put all those in the description of the the chats as well, oh, and the the releases. If you're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, it'll be on there for you, folks. I appreciate that, John. Thank you. Um, last couple of questions, John, and then I can give you back your day. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, Green Turtle asked, "The orange orbs that you've seen were picked up by infrared sensors on a satellite." Did you see an infrared picture or some type of color spectrum graph printout? What oh. was the physical media used to show the orbs? Uh, it was an image. Now, having said that, be, prior to having more sophisticated IR sensors flown by the NRO, uh, we used to have sensors riding as payloads on other satellites. I can say that much. Can't go any further than that. Um, we tested, my lab tested some of those sensors uh, when uh, I believe it was the Challenger explosion. You recall the Challenger space uh, space uh, spacecraft. The space shuttle, was, yeah. The space shuttle was destroyed yeah. as it was ascending. Uh, the data we got that was basically uh, a plot. Uh, it was measured in, if I recall, kilowatts per steradian meter square. That's a lot of words. But basically, it's a plot, XY plot, X-axis, Y-axis, and some intensity level based on time. And so we were able to see the explosion as like intensity levels. Uh, that was a capability that we had a long time ago writing these other payloads. Um, but... What I saw was an image, and that's all I can say about that. No, thank you. Uh, Last question then for you um, before we wrap up is from Corey. 
And Corey says, to preface the question, on the Project Unity podcast, you provided a walkthrough of the US intelligence agency ecosystem, including their high-level responsibilities and recommendations, where to request information about various types of UFO UAP subjects via FOIA. Recently on Theories of Everything, Linda Moulton Howe talked about how the US government previously called these unidentified things UAVs, unidentified aerial vehicles, or unidentified aerial crafts. Does John have any recommendations on specific subjects and or terms or phrases that curious minds about the subject could submit for your request to specific agencies with? Well, first of all, UAVs is a very old, uh, very old term. Um, it's unmanned aerial vehicle. And it had nothing to do with UAPs at the time, because that was when we were talking, talk, still talking about UFOs as UFOs. And UAVs were... Um, the beginnings of uh, having a vehicle that could be flown remotely. Uh, after the, during the Cold War, they were called RPVs. Uh, I think it, it was remotely piloted vehicle RPVs. And UAVs was an extension of that in more modern times. It's basically just something that flies that you control remotely. And that was UAV. Um, What's now um, available is artificial intelligence into that vehicle where you program it to respond because there's so many sensors on that vehicle. You can, it's like driving a car without a driver. You're collecting information about where the other cars are and where the road is and where the lines on the road, road might be so that you can keep the car on the road as a driverless car. Well, uh, the more sophisticated UAVs, um, what we call drones, uh, some of the some of them have that capability. Drone to me is just a generic term; mm. it's very generic. But the Pentagon has used various acronyms, and the Pentagon loves acronyms, uh, alphabet soup of stuff. You yep. take a box of letters and throw it up in the air and look at the floor, and you'll get some Defense Department acronym landing on the floor. I'm sure. AOIMSG. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So um, there needs to be a a glossary. I agree. If that's the intent of the question, uh, there needs to be a glossary. Uh, I'm not the one to write it. (laughs) I I would be the last person that uh, probably qualified to write it because what I know is very narrow to the disciplines I studied in the IC. But I agree there needs to be a glossary somewhere of what these terms mean and what they relate to and the history of those terms. Right now, I was just tell people, go to Wikipedia. Are there any terms, if, if someone was asking you then, you know, I'm going to submit a FOIA about UFOs, UAPs, what are some of the basics they should include? Oh, okay. In that sense, uh, don't say satellite imagery. Say NTM, November Tango Mike, for those who have been in the military. Uh, NTM, National Technical Means. And if you're asking NGA, uh, ask for an imagery um, an imagery analysis report. I'm trying to think of IIR. See, I, I myself have difficulty with some of these. Um, but an IIR is uh, the imagery report from NGA. Uh, for DIA, everybody knows DIRDS because uh, that was the unclassified white paper submitted. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not intelligence. That's just a white paper. Uh, and the DIA, it's uh, 
Defense Intelligence Reporter, DIR. They seldom get released. Seldom. Uh, and the CIA, uh, if you want the highest level, which you will never see, it's NIE, National Intelligence Estimate. Uh, and beneath that, uh, there was something called the WIRE, W-I-R-E. That's the World Wide Intelligence Report. I don't know where the E came from. I think it's R-E for report. Uh, those aren't released at all. In my day, we had something called the SWR, the Scientific and Weapons Review. And the SWR uh, contained a weapons intelligence, scientific intelligence. Uh, and they don't get released either. Um, so what I'm telling you is the completely useless information. I'm telling you what they are. And I'm telling you that you'll never see them. Okay. Having said that, if you're a U.S. citizen and you're over 18 and you think your skills can be used by CIA, by golly, just apply for a job. There are always job openings there. 150,000 applicants, they accept maybe a fraction of that, maybe less than 150 out of 150,000. You might be one of the lucky 150. But uh, <laughs> I know that's not an answer, but... No, some, some of those statements, like you say, don't say satellite imagery, say NTM, things like that, hopefully will be useful to some people yeah. starting out with the, the FOIA process. And I wish them all the best in that and definitely let us know how you get on. John? Oh, uh, IIR, Imagery Intelligence Report, IIR, NGA. Okay. Oh, thank you, John. Um, listen, to finish off, John, what does 2022 look like for you and the subject for the rest of the year? Uh, well, 2022... Um, I'm completing uh, this round of interviews. I'm giving everyone a second chance. Uh, right now, um, I can't accept any new interviews. Uh, I need to get back to my life. This isn't my life, and I wasn't intending to be on these interviews, but I thought it was important to share what I know. And so that's my contribution, um, to share what I know. Uh, I don't think uh, there will be any meaningful discussion until we start seeing the very first 180-day report to see if that's released in public. And then we can have a discussion about that. Uh, I found it amusing that Lou said, hey, you know, pick, pick a hobby and wait wait five years. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I'm not going to say that, but I, I really don't have any more than what you guys have already heard. My experience has been limited. I was never read into any NDA related to anything about the phenomenon. It just happened as my day job. I got information about the phenomenon and I was able to release what I know. Uh, I would say this. Do I know a little bit more? Just a tiny bit just a tiny bit, but that bit will never, ever get released. And um, I'm hoping somebody else will talk about it. Uh, maybe somebody else will talk about it, but that's all. Basically, I'm it. Uh, that's it. And for the rest of this time, I do have a physical appearance, in-person appearance with the Phoenix, Arizona MUFON chapter. So I'll be appearing with them uh, later in February. Uh, of course, this uh, Sunday, January 30th, uh, I'm on Coast to Coast AM with George Knapp. Uh, CIA officer, uh, former CIA officer Jim Simivan will have the first two hours, and I'll have the last two hours. Um, I might do something with Quantum Witch, Priscilla Stone. Uh, I think I'm scheduled with her, but I know I have had so many requests, and I really tell people I'm, I don't have anything more to add. Uh, and I do need to work on uh, some briefings for the various Cold War museums that I've signed up with uh, to help them understand what CIA did during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily related to UAPs or anything like that. It was my day job that I'm talking about. And I'll do that. But other than that... Um, 
Well, listen, uh, John, let, let me say, let me say firstly, Priscilla's wonderful Quantum Witch Cafe is one of the podcasts. If people check out the Anomalous Podcast Network, that's something I started recently and Priscilla's podcast is on there um, and you'll get a wonderful conversation from her. She's she's lovely. Um, but also, listen, you speak well on the subject. You've got a wonderful charisma about you. Um, your, your knowledge and background is one thing, but also... I personally, and I know many listeners, have enjoyed hearing you share your beliefs and speculations as well. So um, thank you very much. And listen, when those reports do come out, you are definitely someone I'd love to hear from again down the line when you've got something to add. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFOUAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jay? Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.